You are now listening to Discover Your Potential with renowned radio talk show host and certified holistic practitioner, Cindy Gilman. So listen, participate, be inspired. Know that you can discover your potential. Here she is, Cindy Gilman. Well, a very good Sunday afternoon to all of you, whether you're dealing with fires in California like our producer or thunderstorms on the East Coast, but it's still a beautiful Sunday here, and I'm in a different part of New England. So I hope you're having a good weekend, and I just want to thank all of you for allowing us to share a part of your Sunday. If you miss part of the program, or if you'd like to suggest that your friends listen to the podcast, you can go to www.wdypetalkradio.com. DYP stands for Discover Your Potential. And that's what this program is about. It's I've gathered guests that have gone through transformation periods where they may be have done something that they're not really enjoying in a relationship that is a dead-end street, living in a place where they're really not comfortable, and suddenly the universe kind of gives them a little nudge or maybe a big nudge and says, whoa, time to make a change. And uh, I'm sure you'll find that today's guest is one of those people. Before we begin... I want to uh, I want to mention something. Um, you know, they've been doing a lot of talking this week. Uh, it's the 100th anniversary of women getting the vote. Now, I don't know about you, ladies, but I find that a bit insulting. Uh, not because they're celebrating the anniversary, but I mean, to me, Abraham Lincoln freed people. And, you know, you'd think that women in general would have been freed enough to vote. So whether your grandmother or great-grandmother remembers a time when they couldn't vote, um, you know, I, I... It's just hard to believe, but I think all of us, all of us should vote. And if you have kids or grandkids or if you're part of the millennium generation, get out and vote. It's this, this election is very important and it's important that all of us get out and vote. So, um... I don't know how some of you women feel about this celebrating 100th anniversary. I know last night on CNN, they had a special on Women Remembered. And, uh, excuse me, CNN, but we're still here, so you don't have to just remember us. (laughs) We're We're still here. In fact, the idea that we have a woman who's uh, on the ticket to be vice president, says something significant. You know, she keeps saying, 
and and I love her energy. She keeps saying, you know, her name is Kamala, but she says her favorite nickname is Mamala. And I wonder how many of you know what that means. It's actually a Yiddish term because the Yiddish word for mother is mama. And when you add the E-L-E at the end of any name or term, it's a term of endearment. So when you say mamala, it's a term of endearment for mother. Just thought I'd fill you in on that. So here we are. It's uh, just a couple of weeks before Labor Day. It's hard to believe that this summer has uh, flown by, even with all of its uh, things to overcome between this virus, this pandemic, and the economic time we're in. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's we're in that shift that people have been talking about for decades and centuries. We are in that shift. But uh, I believe that within each of us, there is a part of God that helps us look to the positives because we are all connected. We're all part of one. And so with that, first of all, if you'd like to be a part of the program today, our call-in number, and I hope that hasn't changed, so Doug, I'm counting on you. If it changed, let me know. 888-627-6008. Is that right, Doug? Yes, that's actually correct. Okay. How, how, how are you doing with the fires out there? Oh, we're uh, staying indoors. It's smoky. You can't see much outside where I'm at. It smells like you've uh, got a, a fireplace uh, in your living room. Oh, gosh. I know. I was talking to uh, friends of mine in Southern California, and they were telling me when you go outside, you can literally, when you breathe, taste the smoke. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It stays in oh, your mouth. Oh, gosh. Yeah, we've got stuff going on all over the place between the virus and weather changes and tornadoes. Ugh. Mother Nature has uh, shown her fury. Yes, she she uh, must be respected. That's for sure. <laughs> so... I hope all of you are having a good weekend now that they're allowing us to uh, to go out a bit more. But uh, I do hope that you're still following the rules and wearing your masks when you should and keeping your hands washed. And um, I almost feel like I have OCD every time things are delivered here. I'm wiping everything down. I feel like, well, should I be wiping them down? Yes. But, uh, yeah, it's a very unusual time. Um, I was going to say something else about the masks. Couldn't have been that important. So, today, I'm going to read something inspirational, as I always do. And I do want to remind you that um, for my private sessions that I do for people as a medium and 
people say, well, what's a medium? It's a little bigger than a small. Um, a medium is a go-between uh, where you connect with our, your loved ones that have passed on. And uh, <clears throat> and I do spiritual energy healing. All sessions now uh, will be done by phone for your health and your convenience. So let me read something to you. I know this time in your life is as confusing for you as it is for all of us. Before, there was a safe path for you to follow, and now suddenly there are unfamiliar curves, and you're unsure about which way to go. I understand your feelings. I wish there was something I could say or do to erase your fears, to lessen your confusion. But having been there myself, I know you have to look with inside of yourself. This time is only a bridge you must cross to get to the other side. Once there, you'll look back at this. You'll look back at the crossing with smiles and laughter and with memories you'll cherish for the rest of your life. Meanwhile, do whatever you can to make this time in your life a time you look back upon as one of the best. That was written by Nancy Sims, and I just thought that was appropriate for the time. My guest today has gone through a period of transformation herself. You know, sometimes we all go through a dark time or a time where we know we need to make changes, major changes. And when she tells you her journey, her story, you'll understand. So let me welcome, with great pride, Karen Morales. Welcome, Karen. Thank you for a beautiful introduction. Oh, well, you deserve it. <laughs> you deserve Thank you. it. I really appreciate it. I love your uh, words, and I also am sending out a lot of love to the Californians. I, I grew up in the Bay Area, and I do have some friends that have sprinklers on their roofs right now and have cars packed and are ready to evacuate. So it's oh, definitely wow. a very trying time for a lot of California and the fire men and wow. women who are working so hard to put them out. I know, I know. I, I, Doug was telling me before, it's it's up in the northern part of the state. It's down in the It's all, all of California is dealing with different different areas of these fires. It's just, you know, they just, they haven't had rain. They've had lightning, but they haven't, they haven't had rain and it's dry. So uh, those of us in New England, I guess, are lucky. We are. We are definitely lucky. And you're a native San Franciscan. I am. I am. I am a. I'm a West Coast girl at heart who uh, moved to Boston for college and found sort of my second home on the East Coast. So I have not 
really left except for living, you know, abroad for a short period of time. But um, Mm -hmm. I find both coasts to be truly magical. I'm sorry. I I didn't hear the last part. Um, I love both coasts. I find them to be both magical. Right. So let's hear your story because you've gone through a very strong transformational period yourself. Sure. Sure, I'm happy to share. So, like I said, I started off, you know, my journey was very typical, very traditional. I grew up in San Francisco and moved to Boston for college and had a very wonderful experience in the traditional large New England school. I was one of those people who knew what I wanted to do and um, marketing and public relations was my focus from early on. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, married my college sweetheart soon after, after I graduated. Um, mm-hmm. And I had a very, you know, wonderful set of years in my twenties and thirties where I, you know, climbed the corporate ladder and traveled globally and, worked my way up to be a female, you know, senior vice president at a large ad agency and felt great about my career, had two Mm -hmm. small children and was feeling like I was doing the things that I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Um, In a very interesting turn of events, the year 2016 was the year that forever changed the course of my life. Mm. We used to talk about 2016 being that year of doom and gloom for a lot of us. I think Mm. perhaps 2020 may have (laughs) eclipsed 2016, but for me, Mm. 2016 will forever remain, you Mm. know, that year. Um, So at that time I, you know, had been married or been with my partner for almost 20 years and I had two small children and, a career that I loved and, you know, I kind of woke up one day and everything changed. Um, my partner declared he was leaving. My mm. children were shook to their core. My mm. disenfranchisement about working in big business and trying to take care of the absolute chaos that was happening in my home life was almost too much to bear. And at the same time, my health was really coming to a pivotal point of change. I had been diagnosed with an extremely rare form of muscular dystrophy when I was 20 years old. And I lived with that, I would say, secret for more than a decade. Um, I feared being honest about what I was dealing with in my life and I almost thought that by not speaking of the dark secret, perhaps Mm -hmm. it wouldn't come to fruition. So I lived a really challenging existence. Yeah. What was your question? I was just going to say, isn't muscular dystrophy usually diagnosed when someone is young? It is often. I think the most common form of muscular dystrophy is Duchenne muscular dystrophy, which commonly is um, in in boys and diagnosed quite young and is a fatal form of wow. the disease. 
there are actually adult or um, adolescent onset versions of the disease that are not necessarily fatal, which is the one that I was diagnosed with when I was when I was 20. Mm. Um, and I think that really lies the challenge, right? It was pretty under, misunderstood, um, quite what, rare. What kind of symptoms were you having? Well, I had had this really freakishly strange blood test when I was 16. So I was going to spend a summer in Spain um, mm-hmm. studying Spanish my junior year in high school, and I had a, a workup, um, a regular full physical with blood work. And the, mm-hmm. I had this really elevated enzyme level, which most people usually think um, would denote like a hepatitis or some sort of liver ailment. Mm-hmm. They did all of the workups and said, hmm, you seem to have something possibly wrong with your muscles and you should probably get tested before you have a baby because you're probably a carrier for some disease. And they left it at that. So when I was about 20, I was junior in college and I was having, you know, a very good time. I had a bunch of friends who were older than I was that were going off to medical school and I didn't have any finals. So I played pretty hard for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And whatever happened in that time period sort of set off this chain of events where my body and the ensuing inflammation was like, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. So while I would take my morning run, I would often trip. And in that sort of knowingness that a lot of people have but sometimes ignore, mm-hmm. I knew it was a bigger problem and I knew it was intrinsically linked to what I had heard when I was 16. Wow. No. So I went on a path, and um, mm-hmm. I had a roommate whose father was a neurologist and had trained at MIT. Mm-hmm. So he called a friend, and I was seen at a hospital outside of Boston. And um, before I went into that room and met with the neurology team and actually the entire group of residents who were sort of staring at me like some specimen that was rare. I know, I had that's gone always to the fun. Yeah, it's always fun. It's really, it's really great feeling to see a um, lot of people staring at you right. um, in shock and awe. So I had gone to the Boston Public Library and done some research, and I had diagnosed myself with what was then called myoshi myopathy, Mm-hmm. It was an extremely rare version of muscular dystrophy that was usually seen in sub-Saharan Africa and um, small pockets in different Japanese islands. Hmm. And then there was me. Wow. So what did you do? Um, I did what I think a lot of, 20-year-olds who don't have any desire to hear that they could be permanently disabled would do. And I told them that that was nice, that I would never be in a wheelchair, Mm -hmm. and that they had to bleeping figure it out before I was 40 because that was not a possibility for my future being. Right. And I walked out of that hospital and went to a Dave Matthews concert with my friends. Ah. 
and tried to not think about it. But I think when you, it's easy to say that you don't think about things and it's easy to pretend that you're not, but it was always there. Now, since then, you've gone to a number of different holistic practitioners, healers. I have. I think um, because there wasn't any research and because at that time when I was diagnosed, there wasn't anything people could tell me practically to do. Right. I had a hard time accepting that I would wait and see. Mm -hmm. So over the course of my existence from my early 20s until this present day, I did my homework and I looked into any potential healing modalities that I thought would be Mm -hmm. of assistance. I did acupuncture before it was popular. Mm -hmm. Um, I did uh, Chinese herbs. I did cupping before mm-hmm. anyone knew what that was. Um, I did Reiki masters and Kongrem healers. And I mean, there was really nothing you ran the that gamut. I wasn't right. yeah, open to trying. I, I changed my diet. I tried to limit alcohol and inflammatory foods. I worked out. I meditated. I mean... I did as many things that I could do while still living in this kind of captive silence. Still not really wanting to stress aggravate it. I believe that stress does aggravate it. Um, Mm -hmm. I think mindset can aggravate it. Absolutely. I think, I mean, I can see a very, I've broken multiple bones over the years from falling and tripping and it takes a lot of focus on my part from the second it happens that this is not going to be the defining moment that makes me immobile. So I set that intention within seconds of the injury and with literally rabid, crazy girl focus, I have always been able to get back to some semblance of baseline, Mm -hmm. which I know has not always been the case for most people in my situation. Right. So now where are you now in that medical journey? I mean, I'm pretty far down the path in that I am vocal now about my experience, um, which is a hard, it's it's still a hard conversation to have because I don't think of my identity as of someone who is limited. Right. But that's a positive I, attitude to have. <laughs> I do try. I mean, there are definitely a lot of moments. I was recently at a hotel last week, and, um, you know, I, I asked for an accessible room, 
and they gave me an accessible room that was accessible down a hallway with 22 stairs. Whoa. Which was quite the mind boggler, right? I mean, that's not very accessible. Yeah, I had to call the front desk, and I'm like, "What do yeah, they consider accessible? Yeah, I wonder what exactly. the I wonder what the accommodations that weren't accessible were like." So they they were uh, a little bit speechless when they're like, "Right, whoa. yeah, uh huh, you do have to go down all those those pathways." I'm like, yes, which I cannot uh, do. So we're going to need a new room. Um, or, you know, in that particular hotel, it was a beautifully, the new room was beautifully accessible, but like they, they didn't have anybody try getting out of the bathtub onto the tile that was, Slippery. I would say an ice skating rink would be right. the best. Uh, I mean, I ended up having to crawl out on my hands and knees, which is very humiliating. <laughs> as long as no one's watching. Get out of there, you know? I was like, this right. is a death trap for me. Um, so there's always moments that are hard. So my experience right now is I am I am mobile. I use a crutch or mm-hmm. my sexy sticks, I sometimes like to call it, because it's, like, so uh, just it's mortifying. <laughs> just my sexy stick, as I sometimes mm-hmm. say. Pass me my sexy stick, because, I mean... As a forty-year-old woman with a cane, it doesn't using the word cane or crutch doesn't feel good. Mm. Um, and I mean, I avoid stairs. I don't hike Mount Kilimanjaro. I have an elevator in my home, um, but I would say I probably have a full and more adventurous life than a lot of people that I know that don't have any mobility challenges. I mean, besides the mobility challenge, which it seems like you're dealing very well with, uh, because you sound like a person who loves a good challenge. Um, (laughs) I mean, you went through some other major changes in your life as well. I did. I was. And so in 2016, I was dealing with a medical challenge, and um, unexpectedly, you know, one day in March, I wake up to find out that my marriage is over. Um, my, my partner of years has found somebody else, and I'm, you know, sitting in that moment with wow. two small children and a degenerative muscle disease and a job that's no longer serving my mental health or my schedule needs were a few months off of a massive home renovation and, you know, hundreds of thousand dollars in debt. Mm. And it seemed impossible. So the universe gave you a good push in the took us, as we say. Yes. I mean, and what I did you the do? universe. <laughs> I fought the universe on this one for a while Mm -hmm. to accept the outcome that was apparently mine. I fought to stay in the job, and I fought to keep the family together, and I Mm -hmm. fought to be quiet about the experiences I was going through until one day it all needed to change. Right. And in a short 
span of almost two weeks, I left my job at the agency. Mm -hmm. I founded my own company. I started looking for cures to discover my own um, pharmaceutical nonprofit that I could join. Mm -hmm. I got my kids back on track. um, And I filed for divorce to become completely... You know, independence of the life. Yeah, that I wanted to create for myself and the kids. I knew that there was no way to do it in corporate America with the amount of time that I needed to be home. Right. You know, people don't realize, I mean, being a divorced parent myself, they don't realize the magnitude of responsibility because... Anyone who is a good parent wants to be there for their children, tries to work around their schedule in some way, um, still has to take care of a home and all the things that go with it, and work. And, um, you know, it's not easy, but those of us who go through that know that it's possible. You can do it. And it, it like you said, it's a, a, a big part of it is attitude. Yeah, it was a, it was a moment in time where my, my son was really struggling and he was having a lot of learning challenges and medical mm-hmm. challenges. He had, asthma that was really under controlled and we were in and out of the hospital a lot. He looked at me one day and said, mom, this is the worst thing you have, you know, you and dad have ever put me through. And then he just said, but if you make me move, I will never forgive you. And I mean, that's like a that's a war cry for a mother. I mean, I, mm. there was in that moment in time, I looked at that little boy and I said, "You won't move." And I mean, I had no idea how I was going to make that happen, but I was sure that I would. Mm-hmm. There was no doubt in my mind. No matter how many of my friends said leaving a job at a big company was not a good plan. I said I need to work less and make more, mm-hmm. and my only way to do that is on my own. And right. with a wing and a prayer, I stepped out into that new world, probably being the only confident person in my life that I would be able to pull it off, but not knowing mm-hmm. how. <laughs> and your business is called Marketing Magnet. Yes, I have a business called Marketing. Uh, my business is Marketing Magnet. We are a small boutique marketing agency, and we help all sorts of clients make the changes they need to more quickly achieve their goals. So I was blessed, right? I, I had worked my entire adult life. There had never been a time where I did not have a job. So I had a lot of corporate experience, and not with small brands. I mean, I had launched campaigns for ESPN, American Express, Fontana mm-hmm. Bank, Fidelity Investments, Delta Airlines, big brands. So I had a ton of connections. Wow. 
And I hung up my tile on a Tuesday, and I started seeing clients Monday. Wow. Um, And my business grew quite dramatically over the course of the next two years in really magical ways, which I think happens often when you're making that right next step forward. Exactly. Exactly. So how long ago did you start the business? I left my corporate job in the summer of 2017, and I really put all of my focus into Marketing Magnet paying all my bills by May of 2018. So it's been a little over two and a half years, and you know we've been able to do what only 2% of female-owned businesses do. We, We crossed the seven-figure line in our first year of business and mm-hmm. have well, that's grown pretty good. And it was never for me about the money, right? It was about the seeing the change in my clients, mm-hmm. seeing the change in myself, and enabling a lot of the women that I had met through many years of working in big agencies the ability to come on board and take flexible positions mm-hmm. so that they could have some of that same openness and balance in their lives that they were so sorely missing. So explain to the audience what a marketing spe- specialist, and you truly are an entrepreneur, what does a marketing specialist actually do for a company? Sure. I mean, in my work at the agencies, I was always called in for the toughest clients. I was always one that was the turnaround team for either Mm -hmm. clients that had a very hard marketing challenge, maybe a challenging team structure, or we had an internal team that wasn't working efficiently. So why I exist in my business is because I always see the possibility and the potential in people, and in this case, businesses. So I get called in when there is a problem that a corporation is trying to fix. Sometimes it's they're going through a merger and acquisition. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's they've hired an agency to rebuild a website. It's not going well. Sometimes it's the sales and marketing teams are not getting along, and they need to build better efficiency in their business. Sometimes it's a startup wanting to launch a new product. Sometimes it's a VC firm saying, I need you to help me work with this founder and coach them to clarity with their mission. So whatever the problem is, it's a focused outcome, and I come in with a very small team to make it happen. So how many people do you have working for you? It varies at every time um, in the business. Usually Mm -hmm. there's about six people working Mm -hmm. in various capacities, sometimes as full-time employees, and sometimes as, you know, contractors. Right. COVID's been interesting for a lot of us. Um, A lot of even my team has had to reduce their hours because of childcare situations, you know, over the summer months. Right. But at the same time, we've been able to take on new projects and bring on new clients simply because my Rolodex is so strong. I basically have an expert that can do anything from the years I worked in big agencies. Wow. So it's been easy to staff up and meet the needs of clients on a changing basis. 
so do you do a lot of work with women-owned businesses? I do. Or I'm working it, with a founder right now who's, you know, doing a financial tech startup that's in stealth mode. Mm-hmm. And she's been fun to work with. I've worked with a few other female CEOs in Silicon Valley. I'm working with the foremost dog DNA company, which is Embark Veterinary. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of work with Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked with Mercer Consulting. I mean, we've worked with many different brands, from huge brands to functional medicine practices and chiropractic offices. Mm-hmm. So it's really fun to see the wide range of projects, all with usually a mission at the center of the organization. I mean, it must be so rewarding that you can go in and help them make the changes they need to make to be more successful. It is. I mean, it's it's the best part of what I liked at the agency. And still I can handpick my clients because I mean, 95% of the work that we get is personal referrals. Mm -hmm. So there are always people that I know, like, and trust. And that's really important, right? I knew that I wanted to leave some of the drama of corporate America and big feelings and challenging personalities behind. Right. So I feel so lucky that everybody that I work with and for are just beautiful humans trying to do good in this world. Excellent. That That's wonderful. So, if people want to reach you, and I will give out your information a couple of times during this hour, if people want to reach you, they can go to www.marketing-magnet.com. You got it. There's a way to sign up for our weekly emails that's a little bit of, you know, marketing inspiration. Mm-hmm. You can see our podcast. I have a podcast I do weekly called Momentum Magnet, which is very similar to your motto. We talk about how people can make change in their life and businesses. Mm-hmm. And um, I would love to have more, you know, email signups. And if somebody would be like to hear about how we can work, we could do it there. Or I'm always looking for guests for our podcast too. We like to talk a lot about business transformation stories as well. Mm-hmm. So now, how do people get to your podcast? Uh, MomentumMagnet.com is the podcast, and I mm-hmm. am available on Spotify and iTunes and iHeartRadio podcasts, all the major podcast channels. Mm-hmm. Is it a visual podcast or... Is it radio? It's radio today, but in the future it will also be video. We're going to be launching mm-hmm. that in September. Um, I'm hoping the kids will be out of the house half a day, maybe one day a week, so I can try to instill the video back in. But we have we have a plan <laughs> to get them out while I do it. But yes, yeah, it's, it's. I think they're going to be in and out of school for a while. I know. It's uh, and you know, in in so many ways, uh, I'm sure 
kids are going stir crazy is you know it's this is this is like that movie uh groundhog day it just seems like every day is the same and it goes into the next but for young kids i mean they want to go back to school they miss their friends they miss learning in school they miss the socialization they miss the teacher being there how yeah, old it's, are your it's, children? Um, I have a, a rising fourth grader and a rising sixth grader. Uh-huh. And it's been interesting to see the differences. I have one child who's um, not not as much as a traditional student. He, he has dyslexia. He mm-hmm. has trouble sitting still. He thinks in ways that aren't always as supported in the traditional mainstream learning environment and online learning was hard Must really be hard torturous for him. it's torturous and as i look at the potential schedules for this coming year mm. i'm not quite sure how we're going to do that i mean myself right. as a 43 year old adult i think i would struggle being in three hours of back-to-back zoom lectures a day Getting this 11-year-old child to do that from home with a non-traditional kind of learning style right. feels like very, torture. <laughs> very often, boys uh, uh, who who display signs of dyslexia or attention uh, issues um, are more uh, visual learners, and they're usually very creative children. Yeah, because he, he that is. part of their the brain wise. is definitely. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we've we've spent a lot of time talking and studying about that. A lot of, and a lot of entrepreneurs are actually dyslexic. A lot of, uh, like Richard Branson's a dyslexic. They think mm-hmm. differently, right? So they could create new solutions to problems because the way that their mind works is not is wired for innovation versus conformity. Right. So do you find that your son works better when he can see things visually and how they work? He does do very well with solving visual problems. He's Mm -hmm. adept at chess. He's good at those strategy problems. He's very good at Fortnite, you know, the video games about, certainly about killing people, but he's, he's very good at it. Um, I think the challenge is, you know, sitting still. And I think this is probably a disruption that the U.S. educational system needed. I mean, sitting with these kids and seeing what they were learning in the spring brought a lot of questions to my mind of applicability and what kind of life skills are we actually teaching? How are these things going to serve them? So, And for many years. Uh, the special needs uh, or resource teachers didn't even deal with dyslexia. They were dealing with other learning disorders. They wouldn't even, because every person learns differently. And, you know, like, I, I just, I think it's very unfair when the school systems, um, 
want to put labels on children. They want to label them. They want to put them in this cubbyhole and label them. Well, he's got such and such, or she's got this. No, every child learns differently, but they need they need someone to help them either overcome it or find ways to work around it and deal with it. Um, I mean, I I had my share of, I think I was on a first-name basis with the uh, vice principal uh, in the Rhode Island schools. He knew me by my first name. And and I, I remember going up there and saying, you know, that this system stinks. I said, even your textbooks are outdated. Your, your social studies books are outdated. I said, can't you have the teachers make up classes and put together sheets that the kids can learn properly from if you can't afford new textbooks? So, you know, they, he would see me coming, and I, I think he probably thought, up here she comes again. But that's the key. I mean, and and I think through this spring, it was, I felt so fortunate, right, that I could procure groceries, that I could keep my job and work from home, that I could be flexible enough to spend many hours helping. And there are so many people that don't have that luxury. And they don't, they don't want to, they don't think to, they feel that kids should be learning on their own. I mean, I I couldn't believe I was the only parent that came up and complained about outdated books. I said, don't your parents look at the books their kids are learning from? But the other thing that you might want to try, because a lot of the college students, and if you're up near the Boston area, a lot of the college students will be learning from home and possibly getting a graduate student or a student who's majoring in education would want to spend three or four hours a day or three hours a day with your son doing some hands-on things to keep him up to date. Yeah, I'm definitely looking into that. The challenges is the schools haven't published the schedules yet. And the hard part about it is, like in our case, we haven't had any reach out from the special ed department yet. And Mm. there's a requirement that these children log in and out for these sessions. You know, and as a mom, I'm thinking, he's not going to make it. So tell me what he needs to learn and I will find someone to teach it to him. Because I don't see us sitting in front of, you know, four hours of simultaneous streaming classes every day. I just, right. I would struggle with that. I mean, what type of dyslexia does he have? Because there's different forms. He's a, a, he's like the classic dyslexic with all of the co-modalities, which is usually like executive functioning, challenges, and just how you process instructions, information, auditory issues, um, reading comprehension challenges, cannot phonetically sound out words or deconstruct them, so the spelling, you know, skill is non-existent. 
And then it's very hard for them to take, like you said, they think visually. So it's very challenging for them to take a thought, although extremely articulate in person and very persuasive. But it is a very different skill to get that translated from thought to paper. So the ability to write at an age-appropriate level is also hard, even though the thoughts are very mature. Probably sometimes their mind goes so quickly, they can't get the thoughts from their mind out of their mouth or onto their pen fast enough. Yeah, because he seems is, very bright. He he's exceptionally bright. I mean, he's he's very bright, and he's and I think a lot of these children too, they tend to be extremely emotionally perceptive and and very high emotional intelligence, even if. Sometimes they possess impulse impulse control challenges, right. but the clarity of description on what other people are thinking and feeling and how different interpersonal relationships work right. from the time he was seven has been arresting. I mean, uh-huh. a lot of very profound moments <laughs> with the the child as the teacher, where you're like, "Wow, I I that is a hundred percent correct," and I can't believe you enlightened me on, you know, someone's intent with such a brilliant statement. So it's fun. I mean, they're cha- they're challenging to parent, but it's rewarding, right? Does he like to cook? Not as much. Not as much to cook. He's a he's a history buff. My daughter okay. loves to cook and she likes art. She's more of the artistic uh-huh. spirit. Um you know, an easy child who learns, you know, traditionally and is artistic. But my older child... So what does your son, what's his passion? What does he love? He loves video gaming and history. Ah. So he likes So strategy. I wonder if there's some video games that they have that would help him with some of his subjects. I Other think than that's the usual, how many people can you shoot down or gun down? I know. And the video games are getting more and more violent. They are getting violent. Um, now watch, I'll get think, a ton of phone calls or emails from video gamers. <laughs> but um, there has to be something that he really enjoys doing that you could incorporate things that he needs to work on. Yeah, I mean... And that the is... thing is, he, he's he's a good-natured kid. Definitely, definitely. Strong-willed, I mean, it, but, it's... I mean, you can't... You can't... Children are, uh, are unique souls from the time they're born, and certainly... You know, you can tell there's some children are easy natured from day one and some know what they right. want. <laughs> this one has known what he's wanted since the day yeah. he came out of the womb. <laughs> well, obviously, there was something that he was supposed to learn from it. One of my classmates from Emerson College, who you, um, Henry Winkler, um, oh, yeah. who has risen in the entertainment field, 
but he's dyslexic. He used to sit next to me in uh, world history lecture, and he would copy my notes because he couldn't get them from the from the professor's mouth to his pen to the paper. So he would sit next to me and and copy my notes. Um, and it's frustrating, and and young kids, uh, especially the real young kids, can be very cruel. And if you know, if a child displays something unusual or doesn't have the answer right away, they, you know, they can be very hurtful. Is he into That's sports true. at all? He he is. Um, he is into sports, but I mean, I forget about sports because they've all been canceled for so many months. Right. So the typical sports that we do, we have not been doing. We will see what happens. I think soccer and flag football are on the fence for the spring. I mean, Does he play fall, tennis at all? He's actually a really good tennis player. Because with tennis, you can really, you know... It, it's a fun game, and, and it's you know with one other person, but it also teaches teaches them to focus because you really have to pay attention. That's true. Yeah, we should probably that would might be an interesting sport to revisit for the fall for mm. sure. So your daughter is the creative one. She's the creative. She's the artist. She likes to cook. She's likes to write imagination, imaginary stories. She likes dragons and witchcraft, and she has a magical way about animals. She rides horses, and she charms cats and dogs and plays outside at trees and, hmm. you know, finds school to be easy. And, you know, you have to also, I think it's a balance as a mom in a house when... right one child is more vocal about their needs, you have to make sure that you're balancing your time and attention and not always going to the squeakiest wheel. I know. that That's a tough one because sometimes the child who who has, who has needs your attention more, it has an effect on the other child. But she seems Definitely. to be able to self-motivate, to you know, to kind of do things that, you know, get involved in things that she can do on her own. So, um, I want to, uh, before, boy, this hour has flown, um, <laughs> Karen Morales, M-O-R-A-L-E-S, can be found at www dot marketing dash magnet dot com and she also does her podcast called Momentum Magnet and um uh, yep your grandmother's here so <laughs> I love that you remind me of her voice so it feels oh, I feel like I'm at home thank you and so maybe I'll be a guest on your program sometime. You will be. We will be setting that up soon. I can't wait. Absolutely. So thank you so much. What Karen, a pleasant thank you for today. I truly appreciate your time. Thank I you. love thank you. 
the journey that you came from and went into and how you've transformed your life and the fact that you're an entrepreneur and helping other people. And um, thank you so much. Thank you. This is Cindy Gilman, Discover Your Potential. People who want to make an appointment for a phone session, 401-885-4115 or cindygilman.com or for the podcast, www.wdyptalkradio.com. Once again, our wonderful producer and engineer, who I never would be able to do this without, Doug, I love you, and uh, we'll see you next time. Do something nice for yourself. And you know what? Do something nice for someone else. God bless everyone. Yeah.